Welcome to the Monday version of the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and today we get to start our week with how much the Father lavish, lavishes his love on us, lavishes us. How is that? Yes, because we are in the passion of the Christ as told by Matthew. We're in Matthew 26 through 28, and we get his version of Jesus and his passion and when i say passion it's how much he loves us that he would give his life for us and it's so it's so surreal i mean you have to think about this really you have to really we have to get our minds wrapped around the fact that god wants a relationship with us so much and this whole thing was sacrificing animals to try to get us right with him isn't working. It's not working. It just seems like a ritual, an empty ritual. So God sends his son and says, you will be the propitiation for all sin once and for all, so we don't need to do this animal thing anymore. Because if I use myself, if I come down there, leave the splendor of heaven, become nothing, walk like a man, lose all that I have in my son, and he dies, gives his life for the cross, on a cross, then maybe that will wear on the conscience of people and they will see how much I love them that I would go to that extreme. Because it's only going to be temporary because I'm going to raise him from the grave because good conquers evil and then I'm going to bring him home with me. And then he will judge over all mankind in their time and say, did you accept that I paid the price for you, that I sacrificed my life for you, that I loved you that much? Were you accepting of that? Because here's the thing, in relationships, we have to accept the love that's poured out. You know, um, someone real close to me had a little issue with someone, and, and it's like they poured out the love to him and it was not always accepted and it's like you know and it was just a little misunderstanding and I'm like you know you have to you you did the right thing you said you were sorry you because you really didn't know that was going on was brought to your attention you did you said you were sorry you've done all you can do to make it right now you have to accept that you've done all you can do because it's up to them to accept what you've offered them. 
And you have to move on now because if you don't move on, showing that you accept and have done all you can do, then why would they accept? Because if you don't move on, then that means there's possibly more you can do. And when you've done all you can do, then you should be able to move on. That shows that you've done all you can do. And Jesus has done all he can do for us. He gave us life. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father waiting for us to accept. There's nothing more he can do. So he's waiting for us to accept. And if we won't accept, then there will come that day where we have to answer for why did we not accept. And I always tell young people this. You know, when we get before the judgment seat, it's going to boil down to this. You know, we, we always want to complicate it and look at, you know, our past life when we get before Jesus and we have to be judged for our past life is, you, you know, oh, well, you did all this, you lived this, and you had these many sins, and you did all this kind of sinful life, and you did all this, and you did all this, and you did all this, and you did all this. And I said, but really, it's going to boil down to one simple thing. The most simplest things of all things, it's going to boil down to one thing. One decision did you or did you not accept Jesus into your life? Because remember, oh, we haven't got there yet. Because Jesus will reveal to us in John that the only works the Father wants from us is to believe in the one he sent. In other words, Jesus went through all of this passion we're about to talk about to show us how much he loves us. That's all he can do. So are we going to accept it or are we going to walk from it? And many of them, even in his day, didn't accept it. So let's get started. Matthew 26 Starts with the plot to kill Jesus, you know, because many can't accept it. And it's Passover time, and they're getting ready to have Passover. And so it starts off with um, the fact that there is this ploy to kill Jesus, and it's by religious leaders. They can't accept it because he holds them accountable, and they've been teaching their own thing, and they uh, don't like the fact that he's holding them accountable. So Jesus visits a person in Bethany, and this this today, I've read the Gospels, I mean, I over a dozen times, okay? But today, I caught this in Matthew. He went to the home of Simon, and I, I've read over this over a dozen times, but today I caught this. A man who had previously had leprosy. I caught that today, first time. That's important, because we got to think about that. Remember, he heals the ten lepers, and he also heals the man earlier in the book that says, if you're willing, and he says to him, I am willing, you're healed. Your faith has healed you. So it's like a wonder. But here's what happens at the house. 
you know, a woman comes in with a beautiful alabaster jar and put, pours it over his head. And then that's a woman, you know, Mary, that is close to him where he does another thing. And I won't spill it because it comes out in another gospel who this person really is. But she's preparing him. She's thankful for what he's done in her life. And, of course, his critics are like, man, how can she do that? What a waste. That's expensive perfume. And he says she's preparing him for his burial. So get off her case. You'll always have the poor among you because they're criticizing her for wasting can you imagine that? You pour anything over the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and they're saying you're wasting it? <laughs> I just can't imagine someone saying that, all right? And, and Lord says, you'll always have the poor amongst you. She's just preparing me for burial. What's ahead? See, they're still in denial that he's going to die. But hey, what's coming is Judas working the agreement out with these Pharisees and high priests to betray Jesus. He works it out. He makes the agreement that he'll get his 30 pieces of silver, and then he goes to the Last Supper. Jesus tells them how to get the Last Supper ready and how they're going to get that all done. So they go and meet the Last Supper. Jesus says, one of you that's sitting here with me will betray me. And guess what? Judas, who is the betrayer, for those that don't know, asks, just like all of them, is it me? And here's how Matthew portrays it. Matthew says, you have said it. So what's interesting in this whole thing is even though Jesus points him out, even though Jesus lets him know he knows him as the betrayer, Jesus still has the Last Supper with him. You know, and this is communion with a lot of people when we go to church. This is why we do communion. This is the Eucharist. That's another name for it. So he takes the bread that's there and he breaks it and he says, take, eat, this is my body. And do this in remembrance of me. And he takes their wine and everybody takes a sip and he blesses it and says, you know, this is the blood that's going to be shed for you. And it confirms the covenant between God and his people and it's going to be poured out as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, I'm not going to do this again with you guys till I enter my father's kingdom. What's interesting, and this is in all the gospels, after they do this, they sing. They sing hymns. And I look at that and I think, you know, we sit and we have this communion part in our churches a lot of times, but rarely do we sing hymns. And I think that would be a really cool thing to add in. So what comes next is after they sing that, think about it. They're at a table. They they have the Last Supper, and they're all trying to process, you know, what what is this? It this is my body and blood that's broken and spilled out for you. This word thing he's saying. And then Jesus tells them, tonight, 
All of you will desert me. And they're thinking, what? But he says, no, the scriptures say it. God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But here's the cool thing. Even though he knows they're all going to desert him, he says, but after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So he says, I know you're all going to desert me. I all I know you're all going to freak out, but I'm going to go ahead of you after I'm raised from the dead because he knows this is a temporary thing, right? And he knows that, hey, I'll forgive you. So meet me there. And we'll have restitution. I'll forgive you because I have more for you to do. What's that say? Jesus knows we're not perfect. And he wants us to keep on plugging away. Yesterday I talked about enduring. He knows there will be hard times in our life. And he doesn't want us to give up over one hiccup. He wants us to keep going. He wants us to come along. And guess who's sitting in there? Judas. That invite goes for Judas too, but as we're going to see, Judas takes things into his own hands that don't turn out so well. So then Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and he starts praying, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he says, hey, sit here a while while I go pray. And he goes, and really what he wants him to do is sit there and pray, right? He doesn't want him to watch, but when he sits there, he goes and he prays. Jesus goes and prays, and he asks the Father if there's any way out. What's this? What's really cool about this is it shows the human side of Jesus. And he goes and he prays, you know, hey, if there's any way out, like, you know, if I can not do this, I would like to not do this. And he prays that three times because guess what his disciples are doing? They're sleeping. What's that tell us? When we go and we look to man for help, it's going to fail us. But when we go to the Lord for help, <laughs> our God will not fail us. Why do you say that? because he still died, right, but he rose from the grave. It didn't keep him down. We know that because he rose from the grave, and we see him every day in the things we do. You know, we, gave t we heard two testimonies yesterday in church about how Jesus intervened in our lives and just helped us through hard parts of our life. We endured through it, and he provided. Endure was the key word yesterday. So I encourage you to go see Compassion Church, the ministry of the yesterday, or Homestead Church. It was a good day of worship yesterday. So Jesus says, hey, the Spirit is willing but the body is weak. So that just tells us, man, if we're looking for something and we need real help, we need to go to the Lord because the flesh can't get it done. And Jesus is the way. And he's our only solution, really. And no sooner than he says that is Judas shows up and 
you know, because he only took three with him to the garden. These are the three he's trying to really, you know, bring along. And then Judas shows up, but guess what? He shows up with all those guys, the Roman guards and all those soldier guys, and they're there to arrest him, and he betrays Jesus there in the garden. And Jesus says, my friend, that's how he addresses Judas, knowing full well what he's going to do because he says, my friend, go ahead and do what you have to do. <laughs> and so they arrest Jesus. And then Jesus is like, hey, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? You've seen me in the temple all the time. Why didn't you come there? And it's that point where all his disciples split. Boop, they gone. So then Jesus goes before Caiaphas, the high priest, you know, and that's when they start mocking him and saying all these things about him and trying to get people to lie about him. And, you know, they they say, in the name of God, I want to know if you're the Messiah. And he says, you've said it. So because he said it, because he says yes, basically, that's when they call him a blasphemer and start spitting on him, pulling his beard and telling him to prophesy and all this, really making a mockery of him. And then, you know, they see Peter out there. So this is when Peter denies Christ three times. And as soon as he does that, the rooster crows. And that's when Peter realizes, oh, you told me I would do this. Ah. And it's like, yeah, the word of God never fails. <laughs> so he runs off weeping bitterly because he he failed Jesus, just like Jesus said he would. And then we get in the next chapter where Judas figures out, oh, I've, I've betrayed an innocent man. So he goes back to the priests, throws the 30 pieces of silver on the floor at him and says, no, 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 I, I can't take this. He's innocent. I can't take this. And they, their response is, that's not our problem. You did it. But, you know, because they got what they wanted. And so even though Jesus has always included Judas and then called him friend, even to the moment he betrayed him, and even though Judas was included in, hey, when I rise from the grave, meet me at Galilee, because Jesus is offering forgiveness to him. Remember, when Jesus was teaching earlier, he said there's only one unforgivable sin. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He hasn't done that. He said you can even blaspheme the Son of God. Now, betraying the Son of God would probably be blaspheming him. Right? You could think that. Right? But Judas and his guilt and the way... Satan has manipulated him into doing all this, makes Judas take things into his own hands, and he goes out and hangs himself. Boom. When really the forgiveness is offered to him too. And there's so many times in our own life where Satan manipulates us through our mental strife that we do things that we shouldn't do. And we take things into our own hands, and unfortunately, a lot of times, that's a permanent solution 
to a temporary problem. And I've seen a ton of that in my life as a medic. So the priests are sitting there with money on the floor, and they're like, here's what's really interesting. They know that what they're doing with Jesus is wrong. Why do I say that? Because they say it's not right to put money in the temple treasury since it's payment for murder. So they go by the potter's field, which is named the field of blood, and they pay 30 pieces of silver for that. So there's an admission of guilt in that whole thing. And that's, to me, crazy because, wow, that's just that's just awful. So then Jesus goes before Pilate, and Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' only answer is, you've said it. And then they have this big squabble with Pilate and the people saying, you know, what charges do you have against him? I find nothing wrong with him. And they're like, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he's like, uh, why? I don't have nothing to crucify him over. And, you know, customary for their time was to release one of the prisoners. And they have a convicted murderer there named Barabbas. And they say, no, release Barabbas, because this is all a ploy, right? But is it? Because God knows he needs to offer this sacrifice. And this sacrifice is his son. For all those out there yelling against him, these are the people Jesus is dying for as well. So Pilate's kind of confused, and he sits there, but he gets a word from his wife, and his wife says, leave this innocent man alone. I suffered a terrible nightmare last night. So what Pilate does is he gets a, a bowl of water, and he washes his hands in it, and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. I turn him over to you. But what really gets me in this is as he turns him over to you and releases Barabbas, he orders Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Now, if you're finding him innocent and you don't want any of that on your mind, why would you order that? And he lets the Romans take him away to be crucified. Now, I understand that he's just doing what the people want. But I don't know where, if he's innocent of the blood on his hands and doing what the people want, he had to order more punishment. It just seems like, okay, you got to get your two cents in too. And his wife's sitting there saying, hey, come on, just don't do this. Don't do this. Leave him alone. So leave him alone. If you got to do what the people want to do, then then just do what the people want to do. But don't throw your two cents in, you know. That's just the way I see it. Anyway, so then the soldiers, they take him behind closed doors, which you got to catch that. They take him behind closed doors, and the behind closed doors is where they make this mockery of him, dress him up as a king, and then 
give him a, a reed stick for a scepter and they make a crown of thorns put on his head and that's they just make a mockery of him and then f when they get done with that they put his own clothes back on and they start taking him out you know after they've whipped him really hard and and you know you got to think about that his clothes he's got wearing white clothes right so now the blood's getting all over him i think that was a ploy too to ruin his clothes even though they weren't ruining them per se because now his blood and all that stuff's getting on him. And then they lead him out to be crucified, right? So he goes out and gets crucified. Everybody else is tied to their cross, but he's getting nailed to his cross. So Moore's there. They, get, they put his charge over his head, which is king of the Jews, which, you know, that in itself is a mockery. And then what I've highlighted here is how the leading priests and teachers of religious law say he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. I just find that kind of crazy because what's interesting is that is not only will he save himself, but he will save others, and he will come down from the cross, and he will walk amongst you again. You're just too blind to see, which is what Jesus taught. People will have eyes but not be able to see and ears but won't be able to hear. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he never said anything. And what I really believe is so much today, I mean, Jesus teaches through this whole thing, that the truth doesn't have to defend itself because he stays quiet. You know, he says way back earlier, which I didn't say anything about, but he says, don't you realize I could call a thousand angels and they could come and help me? That's way back before any of this starts when, when, uh, he asks, right after he asks Peter, who do you say I am, the Messiah? And then he tells him that he's going to die. And, and Peter says, no, you can't do that. That's not never going to happen. And he says, get away from me, Satan, for you only see things as a human sees them. He tells him right then, don't you see that I could call a thousand angels and they'd come rescue me and fight for me? Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> That's what he says. You're going to get that here later. And the truth doesn't have to defend itself. And so in this one verse, I'm just like, they're making a mockery of it, and, he, and yet this really is going to happen. And Jesus doesn't have to say anything because he knows it's going to happen. Because of this very moment they're making a deal of, he is going to save himself and he's going to save others. And he's coming off that cross and he's going to walk amongst us. See, what's really interesting is you see a lot of crucifixes with Jesus on the cross. But here's what I want to tell you. The Jesus I serve isn't on the cross. I'm excited about that. Can you tell? He lives 
and walks amongst us, and he saves others. Yes. And he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just love that. I'm like, he didn't have to say anything because he's going to do it all. And I just think, you know, so many times today in the Christian world, when people start stepping on our toes because of our faith we we get angry and we start having to demand our ways and um and we start having to demand our rights and we start and that is not what Jesus did man he knows and i just wish more of us would take the jesus path and say i don't have to defend that because jesus didn't defend his way I know what's going to happen. I know what Jesus is going to do. I know where I'm going. I know what Jesus, how Jesus is going to take care of all this. And you go ahead and think what you want to think, but Jesus is the answer. And if you want to know why I'm calm about it, I'll tell you. But if you want to make a ridicule about it, then just have your way because I know what's going to win out. And that's all I need to know. And that, I wish more of us would have that stance instead of making this, well, I have my rights and I'm going to make my rights. You know, that Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. And too many times we have to just remind ourselves that he stood there in the passion and he just took it for us. And too many times we don't just take it. We want to be like Jesus and be compassionate and be loving and kind, but somewhere we use lose the loving and we lose the passion and we lose the fact that the suffering sometimes means you just suffer and still be the love that Jesus was and let it be. So Jesus is on the cross, and he and he knows he's going to rise again. He's going to save others, and and you know he goes through at three o'clock. He cries out to the Lord. He takes a breath. He gives up his last breath, and then the curtain, the veil is split in two. That veil that separates the holiest of holy places from the other parts of the temple is split in two. So you no longer need a middleman. <laughs> you don't have to go to confession. You can go straight to the Lord and give him a prayer of repentance and he will save you. And you don't, you don't, you don't, you know what's funny, what's really interesting is when you're given repentance, you don't see because they hide you. Even in those days, they hide you from the one you're repenting to, so you don't see. So today, it's like, well, I don't see God. How can I repent? Well, you know, if you go back to the old days, they didn't see who they repented to then either. But now you can repent, say the prayer of repentance, and you can know in your life that you have given your life to the Lord and know that he lives in you because his spirit guides you and you can see it in the way you act, react, and interact and know because he lives in you and you can sense that. Because he lives, and we're going to get this later, his, he lives within your heart and your mind and your soul. You're, there's a cleaning and a clearing of your conscience. And see, the old way, this is, all, this is all coming out later too. The old way didn't do much for your conscience. 
And that's why we needed the new uh, way of being the new covenant. So it's awesome. So then Jesus is buried, and they see this, and they, they're worried about Jesus being stolen by his disciples because Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead, so they place guards at the temple. And uh, Pilate orders that, which, you know, I think Pilate's a little more concerned about this Messiah than he lets on. So the next morning... Here's what we had to look at. You know, this is Sunday morning. It's three days later. Jesus is raised from the dead already, all right? But here's what we got to look at. Mary goes to the, Mary and Mary go to the tomb, and there was, Matthew writes it like this. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down and rolled the stone aside and sat on it, and his face was like lightning in his clothing, white as snow. And he says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. See, that stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. He didn't roll it away so Jesus could walk out and see them. He rolled it away so they could see that he wasn't there. Jesus was already risen and gone. He didn't need the stone to be moved away for him to get out. He was already gone. Why do you say that? Because if we, as we're going to find out, Jesus can go anywhere he wants to now. Remember that transfiguration? <clears throat> Excuse me. Earlier in the earlier in this book, yeah. Well, now he's in this glorified body, this whole new body. Remember, he goes into the tomb, totally gnarled up beaten beyond recognition, as Isaiah would put it. He's in his new body now, and with his new body, his glorified body, his body that God gives him, he is able to do immeasurably more through what great power God gives him. You're going to get that scripture later too. So the angel tells him, go on to Galilee where he said he'd meet you, and He'll meet you there. And so they take running off, and she, he says, tell the other disciples to go too. Meet them there. So they take off running, and then they see Jesus, and they fall at his feet, and they they start worshiping him. And he says, hey, yeah, go. Don't, don't be afraid. Just go tell my brothers and meet me at Galilee, and I'll see them there. So they all go, and they meet Jesus. And this is how this closes out. Matthew closes out this great story of Jesus with Jesus saying this to his disciples as he meets them. You know, they're all they're all back with Jesus now except for Judas. And he says to this, this is Jesus telling them this. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations. In other words, go make more followers. Okay, tell them what you've seen. Make it all work. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So now we can have Jesus with us forever. See, they were limited before because he was in the flesh, but now 
He's going to be with them forever. In spirit. That's why he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? If we just accept him, make that one decision to accept him, we will never be alone. What a great way to start our work week. So you got to know Jesus as your Messiah. And what a great way to start the day. Have a great week. We'll see you tomorrow as we venture into the book of Mark. Amazing.